Hello and welcome to Indirect, a podcast focused on giving. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> that. Okay, I'm going to teach him how not to sound like a robot, like he's reading for something. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Indirect, a podcast focused on giving indies a place to talk about themselves and their projects and give you, the listener, insight into what may seem to be a mild. Whatever that is, process. Mind-wrecking process. Mind-wrecking process. There it is. <laughs> my name is Slays. I'm joined by my co-host, which is me, Jax. And today, our guest here with us is Calamity Bay Games, the minds behind Veil of Dust, a homesteading game. Elle and Mike, welcome to the show. We are glad to talk with you guys. I have not had the pleasure of playing this game yet, but Slays here has had the absolute pleasure of playing so i'm excited to see where this game goes i love i love homesteading games just so you guys know they're one of my favorite types of games to play other than horror and the noir but it does it looks interesting it looks very being from the sticks it looks like something i should play i should try it really does we live in the hometown of bonnie and clyde i don't know if slays has told you that so we are out in the sticks where there's a lot of home homesteading and agriculture yeah, um, I'm, I actually uh, grew up around where the game is set. It's set in Eastern Oregon, which is a high desert. Um, so I'm very familiar with uh, the sort of the area. And um, we actually used to live over there and people who have seen the game are like, yeah, it really gives you that high desert Eastern Oregon feel. Well, that's good. So you put some of your personal experience into the game. That that would explain why it looks like. So that's why it looks like somebody like you've been out. You've been out there and played, like done all this stuff by hand and stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I had uh, I grew up in the Willamette Valley, which is sort of the end of the Oregon Trail, the sort of area that people think of when they think of Air, of uh, Oregon with the greenery and the rain. Um, but just over the mountain is actually a desert. So I spent a lot of time visiting. The desert um and i always thought it was really beautiful in its own way you know it's not lush it's not green it's not sort of the environment that people usually you know have on their uh windows desktop background or anything but it, it's got its own um beauty if you're open to it yeah um desert is a very good um very good place for like meditation and stuff because it's so calming and it's so quiet it has its own magic in a way I was going to ask, tell us and the listeners a little bit more, uh, a little bit more about yourself. Or He's asking right. about yourself in the game. As you said, from, from the get-go, you can see it's um, it's called Veil of Dust, a homesteading game. The mechanics are mainly homesteading, but it's really a, a vehicle for uh, kind of an in-depth story. Um, I've loved, you know, farm sim games since I was a little kid, uh, but they kind of, I think they miss an opportunity to tell more complex long format stories because they tend to be like a little on the fluffy side, which is fine if you're feeling like just vibing, you know, it's they're, they're great for that and I love them for that. But I think that the sort of day in, day out uh, mechanics of them really lend themselves to like better character driven story narratives because you get to build relationships with people in a more realistic pace. So it will be like, I'm going to visit so-and-so, but I also have to water my crops and do all these other things. And so it kind of feels a little more realistic. And I wanted to dive into like a deeper, more adult, uh, more philosophical story around sort of that format. Um, and part of the story I wanted to tell was about grief and moving on. And I think the, the environment also lends itself to that because it is the, the protagonist failed to reach the end of the Oregon Trail. It's set in 1860. And so they were expecting something that they didn't get. And they're, and they're trying to build a life around that. And the day in, day out upgrading of the farm, taking care of it, it sort of lends itself to that. Yeah, and just to add to that, my background, I grew up playing a lot of games and I, I write software for a living. I also studied history in school and I'm really into history. So I'm always looking for ways to explore like a time and place in a more in-depth way. You know, a lot of games, there are, there are other games that are set on the Oregon Trail, but they don't go into all the sort of narrative detail about the lived experience of the people who went through that. You know, it's this cursory, like you've died of dysentery. You know, everyone knows the Oregon Trail game from back in the day. 
to kind of zoom in on that experience and to kind of get in the seat of someone who, you know, went through a really long journey and, you know, ended up in this kind of tough place, this this high desert that has a lot of life and beauty, but is still kind of a sparse environment. You know, it was just a really interesting time and place to to explore and set the game there. Uh, and, you know, the, we try to tie the mechanics into that environment. Yeah, that's where the survival mechanics come in in, in that it's, um, it's not a really lush verdant place it's a it's a desert um and additionally like as mike was saying we think it's interesting to set a story like after the big adventure has happened and explore that narratively that's a different take usually games go into the adventure and then arrive at the end and then wonder what are we going to do out now but you guys seem to have taken it to a whole new level with the uh focusing on the after after adventure that's Actually, what I was about to say, thanks for taking the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> and that would also explain a little bit background, the aesthetic, because I know I mentioned while playing it at one point, I was like, wait, is the, are the grounds starting to get a little more green? I remember actually saying that and y'all let me know. It's like, no, you're, you're getting used to the scenery. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a little tough because I think uh, all the other games in the genre are very, very saturated um, and I am drawn as an artist to line art and kind of more desaturated anyway but also i wanted to convey like that this is going to be a little bit tough you know like from the get-go i didn't want people to get into it thinking that they could just sort of vibe without the management aspect so it it, it feeds into the narrative and it feeds into the mechanics as well yep. okay um, that's interesting that's, that's interesting next question i have might have already gone over this a little bit. Actually, I think we did. Because <laughs> I was going to ask a little bit about your project, your uh, your game here, and what inspired it. Y'all already went through and gave a good explanation on that. Unless there's something else that y'all want to add to that. Um, yeah. So, you know, indie games are, are hard to make because it's a lot of effort and it's, it's a lot of work for a two-person team. And I think the thing that's really given us the motivation to keep working on it and really see it through is that um, it's kind of based on a personal experience. Uh, Mike and I had had a plan for our lives that we were working toward, um, which was to get everything together and then have children. And we actually uh, succeeded in getting pregnant. And then I uh, almost died. Uh, I won't get into details, it's very gory. But essentially where that left us was that we had to figure out what, what we were gonna do instead. So the, the protagonist's journey does mirror our own journey in terms of like trying to figure out how to piece something together in this new reality, which isn't what you expected and is coming off the like after effects of, of all this drama and like how do you kind of go through each day and like build up a new life. Yeah, and a lot of that has really been to find, you know, constructive outlets, you know, uh, the, the characters in the game have a mix. They have a mix of some really bad things that have happened to them, but they do have really great relationships in their life. And, and, you know, the, the main characters are two siblings, they have each other and, you know, how can they support each other and focus on the good things and kind of create like a constructive way of living where they can, you know, carry their past, but still move forward, you know? So a lot of it is, it's a there's a lot of reflection on the past but still like a, there's always forward momentum because you know for any of us time doesn't stand still you know you might love to pause time and get your you know sort some things out but time just keeps going so we try to bring a little bit of that into the game where there's kind of a mix of past and, and present and future for the characters i'm i'm glad that y'all are able to to share that with us and i'm sorry to hear that uh, yeah, um, it's been it's been really good also just to have it to focus on yeah. as a project. Let's see here. Let's see here. What would you say is the largest obstacle? Um, marketing for me. <laughs> I I actually listened to um, your intro podcast, um, the first ones you did, and I think it's uh, pretty impressive that Jax finds that fun because <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe she can give me some tips at some point because that's my biggest hurdle for sure. Oh, I can. I'll be happy to give you tips. Just DM yeah. me because it's good that you're getting in touch with us because I do have a project that might help you. Oh, okay. 
I'd say for I me, love marketing. I, I love marketing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a unicorn. <laughs> I'd say for me, the one obstacle is just the, the fact that it's a really big project for two people. If you just look at sort of a list of mechanics, you know, one comparable game might be something like Rune Factory, where it has different storylines, it has this kind of RPG arc to it. It also has farming and crafting and, you know, dungeon crawling and, and exploration and a lot of things. And that probably has a staff of 100 people, you know, something like that. So <laughs> yeah. we're looking to tackle something, you know, smaller scale, but still almost as as as, as horizontal as that uh, with just two people. So that's been a challenge. And, you know, kind of like what I was saying, the marketing, we really wanted to do something a little bit different and bring together some of our favorite things in games. And that has resulted in something that hopefully is a really nice symphony of different genres, but it also makes it harder to market because it doesn't fit into one very obvious genre. You know, some people think homesteading and they are looking for a really like a cozy and cute game, you know, but our game is not quite that. So it's, I think there's a lot of richness there, but one of the, the obstacles has been just the challenging of, one of the challenges, I guess, of messaging the game. Yeah, it really, um, like we were saying this the other day, but farm sim and survival might be opposites. So it might have been kind of a risk to try to combine them. People play it and they, it seems like it goes together when they play it, but maybe they can't really imagine it. And and also the tone is like similarly kind of straddles multiple areas. I don't know if um, Slay's got into any of the like jokey dialogue, but it's like, it's hopeful and it can be funny, but it's also like kind of grim in a way, kind of bleak, but in, in that it acknowledges some some of those heavy feelings, but it's also not like a, like a real spooky game or anything. What do you like, you enjoy obviously making the game, like obviously, or else you wouldn't have put yourself through this uh, creative zone of, let's just face it, every creative knows this as a term, creative hell. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so this, we love our project, we have passion for it, but we all have to admit it's a creative hell because it's hard and we're like, why did we start this? Yeah. <laughs> and the inevitable desk banging, head banging happens and screaming and throwing things across the room. Totally <laughs> get it. So um, what do you really enjoy more than anything about your project? Um, I really enjoy seeing people play it, honestly. Um, I really enjoy getting the story into the game and watching people play through it and like really, really obnoxiously laughing along with them when they're laughing at the jokes I've written. You know, like it's very charming to laugh at your own jokes. So, <laughs> um, so I like that. And just like seeing it come together is definitely very satisfying. Oh, I bet you're a... Uh, it's like holding a new uh, thing in your hand, like a baby in your hand. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. made this, yay. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, the crying it's, starts. <laughs> yeah. It's we had from me, of course. So the crying comes from me. Exactly. <laughs> crying comes from mom. We all know that the baby's not the one crying. <laughs> yeah. It's been great to see all of, you know, all of the time we'd spent just taking walks and kicking ideas around and drafting up ideas in, in documents. To see that really crystallize and, and come to life has been really fun. You know, I've, I've worked on different software projects before, and there's always a bit of satisfaction to see something to completion. But in this case, being able to make it from scratch and just on our own uh, and letting it kind of, I mean, there are no outside limiters, you know, as long as Elle and I can, can focus on it and, and get it done, then it's going to happen. And that's that's been really a really enjoyable part. Yeah, just to see it completed. And like Elle said, just, See people play it and join our discord and tell us what they liked about it it's just really nice to be able to touch people's lives in different ways and you know have people connect with the characters and and have the storyline you know speak to them in different ways yeah i i really love um talking to our fans on discord probably too much because <laughs> i should be like working on the game but um yeah when people really connect with it that's very satisfying well, that's good. I'm glad you'll have that um, that network already built up because that's actually key to marketing. So, congrats, guys! You actually have your stuff. Not a lot of not a lot of folks can actually say that's like, oh, I'm supposed to have. A... Um, <laughs> wait, I made this thing, and aren't I just supposed to throw it out and let everyone swarm to it? No, you you build uh, a community, and people come in after they see, oh, you're working on it. Hey, we get to see the final project. Cool, and they finally get to enjoy the end result. 
Yeah, that. So y'all, y'all actually, you'll actually beat a lot of your marketing monster right there. So if that helps you take a nice breath and enjoy a cup of wine later, so you'll actually beat <laughs> most of your monster there. So celebrate yourselves because that's actually something many in my industry have not picked up on. I love the indie gaming industry because you guys have tapped into some sort of sacred well of knowledge that people in my my industry have not. I just love the game indie gaming industry. I just, I love it. I've worked for the indie gaming industry before and I'm trying to get back into working for it because it is one of, you guys are all awesome. We love the indie gamers. Y'all are some of the best people. Y'all really are. Um, Y'all are our favorites to talk to. Oh, thanks. I try to nice. try to be talkable too. Oh no, y'all are, are awesome. Seriously, we are not usually this scatterbrained, but we have, like we said, a heavy Elden Ring overdose here. So we're like totally zoned. So I promise we are not usually this scatterbrained. And that's why when I, Slays told me, oh, we're going to have have it tomorrow. I was like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you are insane. These poor people are going to be like, they are drunk. <laughs> well, you know, that's the reason why I stayed away from the wine last night. Although that would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. Drunken ring. Yep. <laughs> That'll be later. No, that's true. We do drunk born and everything, like bloodborne, drunk born. So it's like it's it's funny to watch. We'll we'll pull you all into our channel if y'all want to listen to us go go nuts and want to talk to me are crazy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't gosh, think I even have the hand eye coordination to, to do that at that point. <laughs> see, that's the scary part because it actually gets better for us. It's, oh, no. it's weird. I had a friend just oh. speaking about about inebriation. Yeah. I had a friend who played the perfect game of pool after about three drinks, and then after he was like, he got better and better and better, and then on his, on his fourth drink, he couldn't do anything. So that was funny to see this sort of change over time, <laughs> you know, that with the hand-eye coordination. Maybe it's because we don't think, you know, after after a certain number of drinks, we stop overthinking things and just let our body do. You know, it's like, I think that's, that's the problem is we don't just stop that's thinking. That's definitely for me because I'll get, I'll start going overboard with my thinking and instead of coming up with two or three plans to do at the same time, I only come up with one, but less about the drinking, more about the... Well, Stephen King does it. He says by the time he's finished writing his session, he has no idea who, what he just wrote. I thought that was because of drugs though. No, it was drinking. He oh, drinks. it was drinking? Yeah, he drinks. Oh. It's not even getting drunk. It's just... Couple cups. Really? Yeah, you just a couple cups of wine. It's like, okay, I have no idea what I just wrote, but it's sounds <laughs> good. They say that about um language too, is like two drinks and you um your second language is a lot easier and then after that you're incomprehensible, <laughs> which I found to be true because because we both speak um somewhat understandable German. Oh my husband's <laughs> half German there, or quarter German. What are you quarter at this point? No, yeah. half. He's half German. Yeah. How so how did I go from half to quarter in your mind Elden Ring hung <laughs> over now go <laughs> okay sheesh Elden Ring's a drug Elden Ring's a drug so getting back on track so if y'all could go back in time like time travel magic whatever I think they already did with this game <laughs> like they time traveled with yeah game. well I, I know I know we've got a few history history buffs and history nerds here. Like Mike will talk later. I'm a history buff too. You're a I history major. I'm a history major, yes. Oh Mike's a history major. See, we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back in time and give yourself one thing to help yourself with, like one bit of advice, one bit of tech, what would it be and why? And I always like to add in, please don't save money. <laughs> We all know, yes, we all, as an indie, we all know money is not a thing. <laughs> you know, I've thought about this, uh, you know, and I don't know if I would do anything. I, I kind of think that, um, you know, I, I love my life with Elle so much that if I went back and made any, you know, butterfly effect change that, that changed my life in any way where, where I didn't end up where I am right now with Elle, then I wouldn't, I would never risk that. Uh, that's I'm sorry. Well, I want to acknowledge me. that's very sweet. First of all, <laughs> oh, that's um, nice. So yeah. sweet. <laughs> um, and I will, uh, to avoid giving the exact same answer, I will say um, I would probably tell myself to practice drawing more. Oh. So, what what if we were to say it could be like no butterfly effects at all, just something that oh. you would still have the same, the same life now, the same quality of life, and it would just be something that would help improve your current work for uh, Veil of Dust. Improve my current work for Veil of Dust. Let's see. I think I would have started earlier 
because I think I'm pretty good at it. I think that doing, you know, game dev takes a pretty wide skill set. And, you know, I've got a technical background where I've taught myself, you know, I enjoy games. Um, and so I think, I think just by since different circumstances, I have a lot of the things I need to, to do it and to be, to be pretty good at it. Uh, I think if anything that I would have just said, you know, hey, don't be afraid to, to jump in on the deep end and just start this a little earlier because then I would just have more years of doing cool things under my belt, less fewer years of, well, I mean, I have a, I had other good hobbies, but, you know, would have had this hobby a little longer, which would have been a good thing. I think besides the whole um, practicing drawing more thing, I would, for Vale of Dust specifically, I would maybe look into more engines um game maker has off and on been a little bit limited for us um and some of the more uh black box functionality is a little bit hard to wrangle um the whole like getting movement perfected has been a huge uh ordeal <laughs> because like a lot of their um pathfinding functionality is very very locked down you can't really get inside the guts so maybe i would have considered more engines yeah that's not a bad insight but that's interesting that, that i i did not know that this was through um game maker most of most of the games i see from game maker have been the metroidvanias unity has been the one that we've we've been introduced to the most lately so it's interesting that you guys did something so daring in in a and game maker because yeah that's actually something that i've toyed with in the past because i have I have a few ideas myself, but I've never committed the time to making them. And uh, I told myself it's like Game Maker would be a good one to work with starting off. But I've also read some folks would go through, they start off in Game Maker and then go, it's too limited, then they swap over later. Oh so. yeah, Unity's definitely worth the money. Yeah. It really is. It's definitely been getting better. They're updating a lot, and they just um, got bought by Opera, the the operating system. Really? Um, yeah. So they have some some new money, and they're definitely making the uh, coding more sophisticated. Uh, sophisticated, excuse me. Um, I do a little bit of the coding. Mike does most of it, but you know, as it's as they're improving it, he goes, "Oh, hey, Game Maker's got this now. Oh, hey, Game Maker's got that now," and I'm like. I'm going to believe that that's a good thing. <laughs> oh yeah, now now that it's yeah. doing that, Unity might have a might have a threat. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's good. That's good because we. Uh, I think they're also kind of trying to take over the like void left by Flash games um, because they have a very game intensive uh, operating or not operating system browser. Excuse me. Um, so they have a very game focused browser that's really about like these very smaller independent games. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see it fill that flash game space. It's pretty powerful. It's called uh, Opera GX, I think. And it's basically like this whole little gaming platform just built right into the browser and you can play, you know, executable games that just launch right in the browser. So you don't have to install an executable or anything like that. So they're doing some pretty clever things. Um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it so far. It only came up, came across our desk like pretty recently. It had only been out for a, a, maybe a couple of months prior to that. So it's relatively new, but I think I think it'll give a lot of uh, interesting opportunities for indie indie developers to get get their game kind of in, you know in front of people uh, more easily with a lot of, with really no barrier to access. Yeah, it might be better for people who are doing um, games to learn or very uh, more mechanics focused games, but it is definitely interesting to see someone fill that space. But yeah, that's especially with the indie gaming industry exploding as fast as it is. Uh, the big publishers are actually suffering to stay above float, but the indie gaming industry is like coming up as a giant. So you guys are in a good time because, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, people are staying in and they're devoting themselves to projects they've been wanting to do and uh, they're filling voids that aren't there. So that's that's why I love the indie gaming industry. You guys are coming up with some amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. we definitely can experiment more um, because we don't have investors and people to answer to. Like I said, you know, we might be doing some, <laughs> we might be doing something really silly combining the genres we are, but it could also be really cool and people might really like it too. Something I actually thought about while you guys were uh, talking about your game itself. I mean, it's not it's not the same. Uh, it is in the same vein, but it's not in the same vein as Kataria Fables. 
They have recently combined the homesteading aspect with the adventure story-driven line. So mm -hmm. it is still a new, it's still new, which is good that you guys are filling it because new new niche, niches are also always good to try to fill before they get oversaturated. So you might try to market it to people that like games like Kataria Fables because it does have that story-driven homesteading mechanic going on. Just my two cents, you might consider it. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a good lead. So it's a, it's relatively new. It is new. So you guys are kind of exploring new new waters. Yeah, I think the the closest existing uh, franchise is Fruit and Factory, which is actually one that not many know about. So it's you know it's funny you mention that the fan base for Rune Factory is very strong. It's just it isn't as widespread as you'd expect, can, especially since they went through and I believe it is number four in between like them making number five i believe they remade number four completely for the new new consoles and new generation I have I think, a yeah i think there's several ports of it yeah i have a friend who's like really big into it and he kept trying to get me to play i was like dude when i get time i'll play it yeah. <laughs> that was a few years back they're yeah they're they're really good games we played a bunch of them and really enjoyed them they some you know i i describe it like it's 80% really excellent and then 20% totally silly. Uh, and it's got this, I don't know how intentional that silliness is, but it's got a certain lightheartedness to it. Um, they're, they're, they're well done games. I, you know, just personally, I, I'm surprised they're not a little more popular. You know, I, it's, a, it's a game that gives the player a lot of sort of autonomy to play different ways and do different things. So I, I like games that give you some choice like that. Same, yeah. Like you could spend your whole time uh, doing one thing, and if you wanted to do the quest one day, you could do the quest one day. And I was like, no, no, I'm just gonna homestead today. Yeah. Yeah. What is something that you learned that you didn't expect from working on Veil of Dust? You wanna go first? Uh, let's see. Quick answer is that a few times I had to do some some light calculus. <laughs> I've done all sorts of like complex, you know, stuff in my in my career, but. You know, when I had to do a, a, like a sine curve, I was like, wait, what is, I had to like rack my brain going back to high school. Um, so that was just a funny thing to, to refresh on. But in some ways, uh, just one thing that was nice to learn was that, that we can do it, you know, that we can pull it off, that even as the game has gotten bigger with a lot more pieces, you know, we, we do a lot of good, like, I, I'm just, just technically speaking, just good documentation, like things are built well, like, I've heard, you know, I understand that Game Maker might be limiting for some people, but it's powerful enough. I, I think you can do probably just about anything with it. So, you know, maybe that's something I've learned. Yeah, I would say that I've learned a lot about sort of art as a production asset um, because I, I did art before. Um, we made a board game before this called Grimsdorf, and I um, was more familiar with creating art for physical assets. But for this, I've had to learn a lot. Like I've had to learn animation. I've had to learn, you know, tileable um, game, like ground assets, like terrain. Uh, how do those art assets dovetail with the actual programming with the actual code? Um, so that's definitely been interesting. And also I can't think, I haven't found any other game that is isometric hand-drawn. Um, so that's been pretty challenging because I haven't had uh, any guides or like any models to go off for um, how to animate in isometric because I think how they usually do it is they will animate it normally and then programmatically skew it and maybe that would have been easier but we didn't do that so <laughs> now it's just uh, my brain generating it. We were looking at Grimsdorf. It looks really interesting. I love that kind of, I love board games. I, I do love board games so I was, look, I was watching it. I was watching it like scroll through the different pictures and stuff. It looks looks fun. Like it looks a lot, a lot like a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, it you know it uh, unfortunately we couldn't get it through to a publisher. We almost got it published a few times, and so we have it on the sort of self publishing platform. And because it's uh, one off, you know, you don't have the economy of scale, and it's pretty expensive, unfortunately. But uh, people have still bought it that we don't know, which is exciting because. <laughs> like I said, it's a lot for a game that's from someone you don't know. So that was maybe like a little push or a little encouragement for us to try 
Bale of Dust. Yeah, it was a really fun project to make. It's, you know, like we said earlier, we just really like making things and sharing them with people. So it was really fun to put something together, you know, just a bunch of like stuff in a, in a cardboard box, very hand hewn, and then bring it to friends and then strangers and say, hey, you want to play this? It's going to be like two hours of your time, you know, but it was really fun to get sit people down and, and see them really get engaged and, and get a really rich experience. And so that that definitely gave us some like confidence and encouragement that if we tried our hand at a PC game, that's, you know, we, we already have a lot of the technical skills, so we could probably pull this off and probably make something pretty cool. Yeah, because you don't have the whole physical production aspect, which is the part of it we didn't like. Oh yeah, maybe with Veil of Dust, you might consider doing Grimsdorf as a, a PC game. We were thinking about putting on, on a tabletop um, simulator, uh, but then we moved on to this project and kind of didn't have time. But um, yeah, you'll you'll see themes in common <laughs> between the two games in terms of being historical, being very a lot of lore and story um, informing it, and also sort of the like. The world is grim, but if you pull together with your loved ones, you can do it, sort of, um, moral of the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, uh, Calamity Bay Games, what inspired that name? It's actually a, where we used to live in the Pacific Northwest, there is, we wanted to have a location that was thematic with that. And so it's actually a place in Canada, but it's also, as actually this dovetails with what I was just saying, um, we feel like anything we're going to make is going to have that sort of theme of how do you deal with chaos? How do you deal with, you know, big emotions? That is both a, a geographical tie-in and we, something we think would encompass anything we were going to make. Yeah, if you were to go on Google Maps, it's a tiny place. It's not, there's no like town there. It's some little like, it's a spit somewhere, you know. You know, it's just a place, kind of a name only, but we, we like the idea that Calamity is just a way that there's uncertainty in the world, and that's just that's how the world is all the time. But a bay is somewhere where you can have a have a safe harbor and somewhere where you can come back to. And so I think a lot of our games touch on that, where there's a lot of you know uncertainty and like randomness in the world, but it still is important to have kind of like a like a home base or have some place where you can kind of come back to and recuperate. And so I think we bring that that sense of tension, a little bit of that push-pull, and I think we bring that into the games that we make. Yeah, and if you look at the logo, it's a it's a ship that, it's not necessarily gonna gonna capsize or sink, but it's um, it's kind of riding high on a, on a big wave. We felt like that was sort of the theme of a lot of our games is like, how do you, how do you stay upright as a boat in the shifting seas of, of <laughs> fate? Yeah. My walking dead uh, senses are tingling right now. Because, <laughs> you know, it's less about the zombies, more about the human condition. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's very accurate. I know this might be a sensitive question, possibly insider knowledge or whatnot. Do you have any future plans? Like, I know y'all are still in the production of Veil of Dust. I know some, some developers have in mind, like, they get the game out there and then they have a DLC or an expansion or even a part two already planned before they even finish the first game. Is there anything like that y'all have in mind that y'all are able to share or even a, another project that y'all have in mind after Veil of Dust? Yeah, I'd love to, to share. Um, so right now our plan, just a quick recap for, for, for you two and anyone else who, who might be listening. Um, the plan is to release early access on Steam in June. So at that point, we're really confident that it's going to be a complete and compelling game, if not going to be some buggy alpha version. And so once we have that for the full game, we have a lot more content that's already been written and, and drafted up. Uh, we've got more romance arcs to complete for the Anya's other romanceables, and also implementing just Shane as a playable character with his with the storyline through his perspective, all of his romance arcs, and adding a third difficulty, which will let players explore kind of a more hardcore survival challenge aspect of it. And even once, I'd say once we have all that, we'll, the game will be fully complete. But even beyond that, we have a lot of a lot of ideas for, for new mechanics, for other like pieces of the story. Those may, you know, end up as DLCs, but I, I think we have a lot of ideas to simply just 
fill out the existing game and just make it a richer experience. Yeah, just to, to reiterate what Mike just said, but uh, what we're aiming for for early access is a complete game experience and that you can play through the whole central plot line that centers on the siblings and you can get one of the spouses. So you can play an experience, but the whole experience is going to be uh, a little more branching with the addition of Shane as a playable character. It sort of ties into the dichotomy of their worldviews. Like he's more tied to the town. It's more of the uh, historical aspects of the game. Whereas Anya's experience is more fantastical um, being the one that's magical. When you, when you are able to play Shane, it's going to be the same in mechanics, but it's going to be a little differently toned and, and obviously from his perspective. That is something that I am actually curious to see how that plays out, considering the Anya is tied to the spirit world, what I call the spirit world, and being able to interact with those uh, those spirits and how you'd be playing as Shane, like how he would interact. Does it, does it come across as he only notices these things when Anya is around? Or it's like, I'm looking forward to seeing how that half of it plays through. Because again, I, I equate Anya to having, this is going to be a crude D&D term, but kind of like a druid. Yeah, um, we definitely wanted to sort of tie that into their Irish heritage. Um, their second generation, um, their parents came to the U.S. for uh, because of the potato famine. We definitely wanted that piece of like Lauren heritage to come through with her. I can tell by the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we speak D and D it's okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm looking at this character. It looks kind of like a tiefling. I can kind of fit. I'm like, yep, they're D and D fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotta um, have our tieflings. Yeah. Gotta have them. Shane's experience is going to be, yeah, definitely different, but it's, it's going to be, you know, also really interesting, uh, from a historical perspective, uh, touching on all the different types of peoples, the different groups that, that lived in Eastern Oregon at that time. Uh, people from from different like ethnic backgrounds, different class backgrounds, and just kind of this micro melting pot, you know, in Eastern Oregon. This this very like in a very transient town because the, it was a it was a stop on the Oregon Trail, but it wasn't the end. I grew up in Oregon, as I said, and I actually um, and I had so many times I had Oregon Trail units in school. But I actually didn't know that um, there were really thriving and um, vibrant Chinatowns in a lot of the small Eastern Oregon towns. And I didn't actually know much about the Chinese contributions to to Oregon and, and that area um, until I was an adult and I started going to museums out there and pursuing it myself. So I think that's also an interesting aspect educationally that we can share. Okay. okay. I, I know Oregon Trail is usually a game that most most folks have played in uh, computer labs and growing up through school. Oh, yeah. I, I <laughs> have never actually played it. I've never played Oregon Trail. Oh my wow. gosh. Wow. It's, a, it's not that fun. <laughs> we it's played not like it a really spectacular. Yeah. I, I just feel like I'm missing out a little bit on it's primarily a educational game is my understanding and it's you're supposed to die along the way that's the yeah, main things I, I know about it if I you mean, play it as a kid you're like you're you're a kid so your primary goal is to get to write a gravestone so that everybody else in the computer lab reads it and then you put something like farts or something so i don't think you really i didn't observe I remember that. <laughs> you know? we actually had farts it was it was like <laughs> or booger oh. picker we had booger pickers like what <laughs> Oh, see, it's a universal experience yeah. then. <laughs> so I don't think people learn much from I, it. I learned that bear meat was the best way to get through any any difficulty. Yeah, what you do is you shoot uh, 10,000 pounds of meat and you bring back 50. <laughs> and like, that's what I learned from Oregon Trail. No, he's not lying. They're wow. lying. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was interesting. So game. that's where all the buffalo went. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of interesting. If You know, when I think back, yeah, it was not the greatest game, but for such an old game, it kind of had elements of like, it was kind of a roguelike where you had a somewhat limited amount of time and like the get the game kept pushing you forward and you had to kind of make some, some limited choices in a limited amount of time. Like from a game design perspective, it's actually, actually holds up, but in a lot of other respects, you know, it's a really old DOS game. So you have to take that all with the, the expectation of the time period. I remember I, I, and y'all are really taking me back. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that is a game. We played in school to try to make learning history fun. I was 
like no can we just end by measuring <laughs> well, we're gonna make history really fun <laughs> oh, I, I love history. y'all don't worry about me i love history <laughs> i am a history i could talk history nut all day long let's see here i'm actually i got one more question but it's more the tail end question do you have any other questions that you have in mind yes i am going to go play Elden ring what class should i play <laughs> <laughs> I have not actually been playing as many games now that I've been making one because it's very time consuming. So I cannot give you any recommendations there. Yeah, I'm probably, I'm also a pretty atypical gamer at this point with all, with just general life responsibilities and making this game. I I don't have a lot of time to play new games. Every once in a while, we'll pick one up. Um, we played a cool game called Minuet. Uh, no, oh, I'm sorry. Ambition. Ambition, a minuet in power, which was kind of this, it was like a visual novel, but also kind of like a roguelike politics romance game. It was pretty cool. It was a, it was like a visual novel, but with more mechanics than one typically has. And it was set in the French Revolution and you can, you know, try to escape with your head because you're a noble. <laughs> oh, I, lo I love the French Revolution. That's one of my favorite time periods. It really is. You remember those uh, adventure book games where it'd be like you, you'd be reading and as you get to a certain point, you go, oh, if you want to do this action, flip to page 56. If you want to do this other action, flip to page 42 or something like that. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very similar to that, um, except that, so typically I've played some other visual novels and typically they tend to be just that with um, not much in terms of game mechanics, but this one had a lot more game mechanics to help determine like what path of the story you went down, which I liked a lot. Visual novels are coming back too. A lot of people are doing those yeah. right now. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing them a lot more come through my feed. And I'm like, I'm just looking. I was like, I might be picking up visual novels to play and talk about. I was not expecting this. Yeah, it's, it's a big thing, especially in the indie gaming industry, because they're actually easier to make. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a good first try, first try game type if you want to try to make a game. Uh, then you can see, oh my gosh, do I want to keep going or do I want to just run? <laughs> yeah. But that's, so, yeah, I was, I was joking. <laughs> I guess for other questions, I've got not to put you on the on the spot, Slays, but I was curious if you want to share any of your uh, thoughts or, 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 or feelings about the game since you had a chance to play it. I actually... Spotlight! <laughs> yeah, I'm currently staring up at my uh, ceiling fan right now at the light. I was not expecting this. <laughs> so as far as like playing the game, going into the game. I'm used to jumping into games on harder or the hardest difficulties available. He does. And normally, normally I'm able to make my way through, if not struggle bust a little bit. Unless it, it's the witch queen. And then you're like, nope. <laughs> that's a different story. Going into the the second difficulty, because the third one's not, not available yet. I was saying, okay, I'm going to be going through playing a little bit. I'll, be a little bit tough but I'll, I'll be fine i'll be fine i played harvest moon before i played stardew valley i played some other farming sim games i'll, I'll be fine i was not fine i was not <laughs> fine at all because every every day going through it's like huh i went exploring and i climbed these i climbed up these paths there went all my stamina why am i not getting it's like i need to get some dandelions walking through which going back and forth between uh, screens making that into a a gathering mini game was not something I've seen before. I don't know yeah, if that... that um that idea came from. So we we actually do some foraging in, in real life, and that kind of came from what it's actually like because you can't just go to the same spot over and over again and expect there to be anything. You kind of have to just keep your eyes peeled as you're walking. Back when we lived in in the Willamette Valley, it's very wet, and so there's a lot of mushrooms, and you just kind of have to. Keep your eye peeled and like, oh, what is that? Was that something orange? Is it a chanterelle? Oh, what was that? You know, so that's that kind of where that idea came from. And we also wanted it to be like feel a little expansive, like like Eastern Oregon feels, but um, without having to scope out a world that was too big for the two of us to build. Chanterelles are smoky and very delicious if you let them saute just right. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of butter. Yeah, very earthy. Yeah. And it smells so good. Sorry, I'm a chef. I'm a chef. Yeah, yeah. she's she's the one who likes mushrooms, not so much me. 
So if you try um, bolites, they if it's a texture thing, they they're a lot more meat like. Oh yeah, yeah. see, I, he always gets the in store shiitakes and the button little button white buttons. Mm. So he always gets that that they always like, slimy get the the slimy you know they yeah. the slimy yeah. texture. So he has not had the pleasure of trying a chanterelle or a oh, what's the other one that with the ball head on the top of it? It's the oh it's an M word help help. Um, a mushroom with an M word at the. So it's the other one. There's a hen of the woods that has a M name that's Japanese that I don't remember. Okay, I like it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's a hen of the woods. But yeah, you start talking foraging. It's like we really need to talk because I love I love the study forage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a nut. I I like to research for no reason. I'm crazy. I like marketing. <laughs> yeah, you you are a nut. <laughs> So another another aspect of the game that I was not prepared for is I'm used to the okay I talk to people a little bit like once every day or two or whatnot and I noticed that the story was like not progressing as I was expecting it to and you gave me a hint of you're not talking to the the folks as much as you should be it's like oh oh I actually need to talk to them every day you have to interact with the public you loser <laughs> it's like I, I have to be I have to treat them like people not NPCs. What? Yeah. What's that? I actually yeah, like that. I like it's that. Tricky. Yeah, we definitely made some, you know, some interesting choices with some of the the game mechanics there, but I think we just wanted to give a little bit of the experience of imagine if you lived in the desert with just your brother in the middle of nowhere. And imagine if you like didn't talk to him for days at a time. Like that wouldn't make any <laughs> sense, you know? <laughs> so a little bit we were like, and as the game goes on, you get to talk with you know, you meet all sorts of different um, different creatures and, and, and NPCs and, and this and that. So the world opens up as you play the game, which is really nice to see. But in the beginning, it's, yeah, there's your brother. He's the only person for 100 miles. Yeah. You may as well say hi to him. <laughs> and and our, our goal is that the characters feel like real people and, the, you know, the depth of the story is, you know, a, a little deeper than, than farm sims tend to reach. It's decisions like, having a lot of dialogue, having a lot of different dialogue, not having like so much repeat dialogue. Um, when you get into the romances, um, like you can't just give them a nugget of gold or whatever, and like have them get hearts. Like you have to talk to them. Um, we have a functionality where you can sit and spend time with them instead of just hucking like a unboiled egg at them and being like, marry me, you know, <laughs> so. so. We've been playing Stardew, I see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I put, I put, Here, have a flower. Not, to, not to, not to st knock Stardew because I have probably like 300 hours on Stardew Valley. It's very successful in what it has set out to do. For yeah, sure. it's a great game that we both it's a great enjoy, game. enjoy a lot. Oh, we, yeah, uh, that's definitely a vibe game. Those kind of games. Yeah. But we, just, we wanted to say rather than make it, rather than try to remake that, we try to do something a little bit different. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something that I had to, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around going, okay, this isn't like other games. I'm going to have to intentionally go through and find like find the story through, progress the story through talking to different folks. I'm going to have to plan things out as to, okay, I want to explore here. I need to make sure I've got enough energy, whether it's sleeping, uh, hopefully forging enough dandelions to make that tea, which... I love dandelion tea. I, I, I felt like I was clicking those dandelions and mushrooms and stuff. And it's like, I must have not been clicking them just right. That was, I feel like that was something that I was getting robbed on, but. You definitely get better at that as you go, because now when I do those, I can click them every time and I'm like, well, I don't understand. But definitely if you get in the lower uh, difficulty levels, the, the that room goes slower. Um, and, and it's the thing we see people master over time. But like, yeah, initially when they're in there, they're like not getting everyone. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and right now the demo that's out there has like less fewer options for the player, but the early access game and what we have even now that, that we've been building out, uh, you know, players have a lot more options and kind of can manage their the homestead in different ways, even in the beginning. Yeah, so, there's more upgrades. Um, the more you upgrade the homestead, the more stamina you get when you sleep there because you're not sleeping in a, a shack made of sticks, um, you know, and the there's just like a lot more in the build we have now. So sometimes it's like you see people play the demo and you're like, oh, wait, I fixed that problem already. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that that's OK. A demo is like a sketch. Being an artist, yeah. I'm sure you understand. Just let it be a dirty sketch and let people keep giving you feedback and they might come up with something. It's like, oh, 
I didn't think of that, or that sounds like a really cool thing. So just, yeah, yeah don't yeah, worry about the demo. Uh, gamers are actually very, very forgiving. That's what I've, I've, what I've learned of getting back into this in industry is we are actually very forgiving creatures. <laughs> Way more than book reviewers, let me tell you. Uh, oh, yeah, no, they will skin you alive. It's like, okay, well, this is my first book, but thank you for sacrificing me to the heathen gods. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> they are only skinning you so that they can go through and help you make your next book cover. Don't you know uh, that's how you make book covers is from the skin of the, the author. Skin of the oh, author. wow. Playing a long game. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I can't, I have no more layers after book nine. Thanks, guys. But yeah, yeah. I, that's why I love the indie game, gamers is that they are such forgiving creatures. It's way more. I'm like, so I actually have a question for you, Elle, if I'm correct in you saying that you wrote the story of this. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure that I'm not walking over mic and being like, I'm sorry. <laughs> So um, I actually have, that's actually something like Slay said, we we have been looking into making our own game, but I have not been able, I've been wanting to know how you write games because it's obviously, it, I'm a screenwriter as well, but it's it's obviously different than writing novels and screen screenplays. I'm at, guess I'm asking is um, how do you approach writing for this, for games? And do you use the, um, what do they call it? The branches? They like use branches. Dialogue branches is what I'm used to. Well, it's like pathways. It's called a pathways chart. I've that's the only thing I've seen is like they make like different pathways to where you can go. But I've actually found and been scared of writing for a game because I had no idea how to approach it. So I guess this is more for me, but somebody listening who wants to be a game writer might get some knowledge from this as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so I do uh, have a diagram for the main story, mainly because I'm a bit of a like a pedant when it gets comes to you know shows and narratives i like you know like i'll i'm the kind of person who will love to sit there and like you know piece out the world building of avatar and be like oh if we saw this in the background then this so i have the diagram and it's mainly to like make sure that i don't have any inconsistencies in the story just make sure that um certain events aren't blocking other events or how do they feel narratively if they come in different orders because that's a big challenge like the siblings storyline which is the central storyline is more or less linear we may add some branching endings at the end but what will be running parallel to them is the different romance stories so uh, all of the romance candidates are involved with the story at, at different points and so it's i think it's important not to like make them feel like they're regressing in their development um or the relationship is weirdly got set back because it was supposed to go before the other one if I'm allowing them to progress them at whatever pace they want. So that's what I use the diagram for. I think it would also be helpful if you had more um, branching storylines and not just branching dialogue like we have. So that is, that's definitely uh, something I use for a structure. Um, and then I go in and write out the dialogue, which is kind of like a screenplay, like you're saying, in terms of it's mostly it's dialogue and simple blocking actions, um, because we don't have like a fully rendered game. We have just the little animations and the, you know, moving around the screen and the portraits uh, to express what the characters are feeling. So I'll do a draft and generally it tends to be way overwritten the first time. And then I go, wow, nobody talks like that. And I go back and I change it to be a little more conversational. This is a very, very rough approach I take. And I would me. just add to that. <laughs> I would just add because Elle has done 99.9% .9 of all the writing, maybe even 100 <laughs> from someone who's been observing her. It's not just the linearity because you could have a purely linear, I don't know, Final Fantasy VII, right? There's just a linear storyline, but it's still very different than if it were in a book because the player will consume it in different, there's a different timeline that's going on. Yeah, the pacing can be very different. Like the, the, the player chooses the pacing. The player chooses the pacing. So yeah. some players might, might blaze through it. Again, talking about an RPG, they might power level early game and then breeze through the storyline. They might take it down in one, in one day or they might chip away at it and they might experience the storyline over the course of many months. And so I think that's one of the, biggest thing that I this sort of time based chronology of it where you, there needs to be a little bit of flexibility in how you think the player will experience it between one step and the next. If someone's reading a book, you expect they're going to read more or less one page at a time. They might take a break here and there, but with a game, they might go on long detours of yeah. doing other things. 
Yeah, like one example is trying to not ham-fistedly remind them of facts that they'll need in case they spent, you know, two weeks upgrading their homestead and they're like, what's this detail I need to know? Just kind of trying to fold it in there in a way that's conversational and not just like a big exposition dump. Nobody likes info dumps. Oh, you you mean the... uh... The massive tutorial at the beginning where it's like here's all the game mechanics that you'll need from here to the end of the game and you get to the point where it's like wait what was i supposed to do at this point (laughs) kind of more from the the narrative details of like oh this person was related to this person like how do you like fold that in so they don't have to have that top of mind because you don't know how long it was since they viewed the last cutscene. Oh yeah, that's that's difficult. I think that's why they include journals. But th- thank you for that, L, because I am looking and I'm telling you, I've written novels and screenplays, but game writing for some strange reason terrifies the crud out of me. So I'm like, okay, I probably just need to stop overthinking and just start writing. <laughs> just to make yeah, sure I, I write a novel and I write normal. I like <laughs> recommend not getting married to what's on the page because it might have to flex a little bit to just feel natural with the game murder your babies Um, yeah so like you might see it in there and you're like oh wait i didn't think it was going to look like that or like you know this isn't really coming across the way i wanted so like just try to be a bit flexible in terms of like your final version versus implementing it okay i'll think about that because i think that is our next project so we're going to try to make our own game um i'm not entirely sure what we're going to do yet but i probably will be the one writing the silly thing so i'm like eesh well, I mean, I got a few. I no. Okay, I, apparently I've been nixed out of my own uh, game idea. Yeah. <laughs> We've been going through asking them questions. Now we're asking them advice and whatnot. It's good, great, good, give and take. Good. Well, it is, and yeah. it's, it's, it helps people who listen to this, this the episodes. It's like if they want to get into this career, then hearing it, how it approaches it, and don't don't be scared of it. Get yourself a cork board and some sticky notes. <laughs> yeah. I love the corkboard method. Are corkboards still a thing? Old adage of, um, you know, the blank page is the scariest thing. So get something down and then you can always improve it. Yep. I should be writing a novel. I have one due at the end of March and I have not written it in a week. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. My publisher is forgiving. But yeah, writing for games, uh, I'd rather write a novel. At least I know that I... (laughs) You got lots of respect for game writers because it looks it looks scary so my last question where can listeners find you and veil of dust so they can go to steam and uh, type in veil of dust we would really request that you wish list because that really helps small games get recognized by the steam algorithm you know the more wish list the more you're telling steam yeah i want to play this and the more Steam shows it to people who are have similar tastes. So if you are interested in any indie game, make sure you wishlist it. It really, really helps. Other than that, uh, you can come hang out with us on Discord. Really fun. We have memes. We have uh, inside jokes. Yeah, um, we have a great, great audience. I mean, hanging out and chatting with Discord is, you know, some of the best, some of the best parts of my day some days where, <laughs> you know, it's just this really great community that genuinely I get a lot of joy from. And it, you know in some ways it breaks up the breaks up the grind of us working on the game and we can actually touch base and get reminded of what we're doing and what we're doing is creating something that is touching other people and interacting with the real world so that's you know we'd love for you to find us on discord there's a link to the discord on the steam page you can go to veilofdust.com and at the bottom there there's a link to our discord you can read about our game uh, and we're on all the other social media, you'd imagine YouTube, Twitter, and all that. And, and we also ask um, the opinions of our Discord uh, audience often. Um, we'll ask them for polls, we'll ask them their opinion on things. Uh, recently, they got to name uh, the coyote that you might have seen on Twitter. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, do you want to take us out of this? Do you want to do the outro? Oh, gosh, from being asked to do an outro. Or do you want me to go through? Do you want me to go through and list all the places that we can be found? For let me do that, and then you do the outro. Just so, do it. Okay. Overthinking. No overthinking. Yeah. No whining right now. Thank you. Thank you, L and Mike, for joining us today. Thank you for being willing to reschedule with us because our internet was great yesterday. And folks, thank y'all for listening in as we got to talk with them about their game, Veil of Dust, for how they're inspired about it, the ways that... Okay, you're laughing at me. 
You're laughing at me. We're married. We're supposed to do this, I think. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I've not played the game, so uh, doing the outro for it. Uh, I'm looking at it on Steam, and uh, guys, I it, from what I'm seeing, it looks like a very interesting game. It's got magic. It's got fantasy. You, if you for you homesteaders, you can literally probably spend a lot of time homesteading. There are from uh, from the point of view, it looks like there's a lot of story. So if you're looking for a game that uh, rivals Kataria Fables, or uh, you're a fan of, I would have actually pitch this to Don't Starve. So if you are also a Don't, we love Starve, Don't Starve. <laughs> we love that game. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's what I was. I was like, yeah, that's so if you had Don't starve or Kataria fables please give Vela dust a uh, check because it does look like an interesting game it is in there's a demo available on steam right now we are indirect we love to give spotlight to indie developers of all kinds gamers artists authors so if you are if you fall into those categories please hit us up on twitter at wrecked indie you can find us on instagram at indirect podcast and youtube is currently our gaming archive, but you are welcome to um, hit us up on that because we're fixing to start delivering videos to that as well. Be sure to check us out on Thursday, March 3rd, where we speak with our next developer, um, Monster Finger Games, who are the developers of Alien Scumbags. So thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next Thursday. Bye.